I have a way of working these things. And it has helped. Bruce Kramer was used to taking a problem and, as he'd say, work it. He'd do careful research, weigh options, look for the possibilities the problem could offer, and then move forward. But in the fall of 2013, despite being thrilled about the birth of his first grandchild in August, Bruce was finding ALS was a very difficult problem to work. The losses, paper cuts, he'd call them, kept coming. You know, I'm coming off one of the hardest weeks I've had with with ALS, and it, it has to do with the next paper cut, the next loss. And that particular loss, it kind of defines the way I look at the world. You know, when your neck doesn't want to hold your head up, then you can either sit back or you put a brace on, or you can look at the world with your head down on your chest. And all of those are viable, but they change your perception. It's taken me a week to kind of get to a better place with it. I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I'm working on it. This is Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Kathy Werzer. Bruce Kramer continued to live with a weakening body as the neurons in his brain and spine that normally communicated with muscles continued to sputter and die. But he also had to wrestle with the emotional toll of seeing others, friends in the ALS community, succumb to the disease. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come for him. This conversation was heard in October 2013. It was about the death of his friend, Paul. I won't use his full name. He was one of those people who's really larger than life. He could tell stories like you can't believe, and for every 10 stories he would tell, I might get a word in edgewise. (laughs) (laughs) Kramer also found a safe haven with his friend Paul, who was also struggling with the devastating effects of ALS. Both men were able to talk freely, often in a raw, emotional way, about dying. Well, you know, the family doesn't want to talk about your impending death. But with my friend Paul, Paul and I could talk about what we were hoping for and the things that we loved about life. And we could talk about what we recognized as we are both winding down, um, circling under, spiraling down. And so it was just really honest and really open. The last time Bruce saw his friend was for lunch earlier this summer. Paul had lost a lot of weight and was quite tired. And then on the day that um, my granddaughter was born, I, after leaving the hospital where she was, um, my son and daughter-in-law took me out to the hospital where he was. It was one of those things where often when a person is dying, They may be kind of communing with some other place, but then they rally, and suddenly they're quite lucid, and they're talking, and and they're sitting up, and it it fools the family and and friends. You think, oh, they're getting better. Well, it's kind of, it's the last energy. And, And I just happened to catch him at that, and we had the opportunity to say things that we needed to say, and then he died about two days later. So it's been a real circle, a real circle of life, an overused cliche, but it works. There is death and there is birth, and here we are. And what are we going to do with this beautiful gift of life? And what Paul did with it was was wonderful. He reached out and reached out and reached out. 
He was one of those people that walked with his fellow humanity and I think did it in a way that was respectful and beautiful and in some ways quite holy. And so I miss him, but we both knew that if we were going to become friends, this moment would come, and that's how it works. Is it hard, though, Bruce? I can see where you two had a safe space to really talk about very difficult things, but in a way, your friend um, was like a mirror. And so as you're, you're watching him die, you had to have been thinking about yourself. How do you, how do you work through that? Well, that's, that's very true. Whenever I meet a person with ALS, I assume they are my brother or sister. And I assume that we are reflecting back to each other our futures. Because it's so unique how it comes into each person. So with Paul, Paul's onset was, was in his breathing. My onset was in my limbs. So I see what happened with breathing, although I'm not at that place yet. And so we see each other's future when we meet, and yet it is the most raw and, I I have to say, beautiful and terrible thing in that it allows us to cut through the other stuff. What, What do we have to project to each other except the person that's right there. And so that part of it has given me, I think it's given me great joy, and it makes my soul sing that I've had the opportunity to connect with people like Paul um, on a level that quite quickly, we don't mess around, we don't have time. Did Paul help you deal with that fear that we all have, of course, of dying? Because you had the opportunity to talk about it with him. You know, Paul and I never talked about fear. That wasn't what we talked about. Um, We talked about regrets and hopes. We never talked about fear. And I, I tell people, I'm not afraid to die. What I'm afraid of is I'm afraid of the hurt that I know it will bring to my family and my friends. I hate that thought. I wish I could save them from that. But my death is just a part of the way the world works. Nobody I know of, well, depending on what your religion is, has has been able to avoid death. And I look at that space, I, I peer into it, and there's just nothing fearful about it. What is fearful is more looking back at the life that I would leave and the people that I love and hating the fact that you always hurt the one you love. Bruce would work through his feelings by listening to music and by writing, which became more and more difficult because of the loss of the function in his hands. He increasingly wrote his blog, The Dis-Ease Diary, using voice recognition software. November 1st, 2013, Bruce told me at times the blogs were so raw he couldn't even show them to his wife, Ev. I, I just thought, you know, nobody needs to know this kind of detail or the kind of um, 
the, just the grimness that I was feeling. But Bruce, you could be forgiven for being grim and depressed and angry. Yeah, and, and I take that space. But my choice has been to share that with the balance that I also feel in my life. I'm never totally grim. I'm never totally depressed. I'm never totally angry. Those just aren't good places to stay. So what, what I try to do in my writing is to find that space between being grim and being jolly. And that space is very thin. I'm not afraid to talk about being angry or being depressed or, or just feeling overwhelming loss. But I also want people to know, as I write that, that I also feel remarkably blessed. So those two things have to be there. The blog we're referring to is End Games. And that title, of course, kind of draws you up short when you see it. You wrote, I have allowed myself for what seems like the very first time the question, is this the beginning of the end game? Why are you asking the question now? Well, I've been asking the question for three years. But I think I also wrote that for the last three years, um, the question, as I have asked it, as I framed it, has seemed academic. You know, kind of like um, uh, hovering 30,000 feet over it, rather than living right in the maelstrom that an end game means. And it's not that I think I'm going to die tomorrow. I, I don't. But, you know, I'm still breathing, and um, I feel pretty good, except I can't move anything. End games is anticipating, well, how are we going to play this out? How does this go in the end? And it's been on my mind a great deal, partly because my hands and arms are now are so um, just kind of there, and partly because I've lost the neck strength that I had, and partly because even though my breathing remains good, it is diminishing. And so I have some decisions to make there. You know, that all of that is to say is my body is winding down. My spirit is strong, and it, I expect it to remain strong. I'm not unhappy, but I just want to be prepared, and I want to help others be prepared. You and I have talked in the past about winding down, and you, in the blog, say you are indeed in the process of that, yet moving at the speed of ALS. What does that mean? I think it's the experience of life. And so I have this slow experience of, of physical form and function, and yet this very rapid experience of time. It can be disconcerting. But if we really are locating ourselves in, in this present moment, in this time together, if we really are appreciative of that, then the winding down and the speeding up become superfluous. They're not really relevant to that as long as you can stay in the moment. But there's a lot of tension there, and it's hard. It requires great discipline. Kramer admits he feels robbed of what he always thought would be at least 30 years of a healthy old age, 30 years of dreams and plans stolen by ALS. For example, my granddaughter, this just beautiful bundle of potential, and oh, I want to be there when she graduates high school. And I want to be there when she gets married. I want to be there when she has kids. You know, I want to be 
the grandfather that that everybody wishes was their grandfather. But uh, that's not going to happen. And so it's really easy to fall back into the regret and the bitterness of, will she know the unconditional love that her grandfather had for her? And that's hard. But at the same time, she is my ability to pay it forward. My son is such a good dad. And I don't know where he got that. Didn't get it from me. But, oh, to watch him. And to watch my daughter-in-law. To watch them with her. And to think how loved and, and how special she will feel as she moves through life and moves through the hard things that are going to come that will shape her and turn her into the person she will be. That I feel a certain amount of, well, I feel okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. I have to trust that I've done what I can do and it will pay forward. I still have plans, writes Bruce Kramer, Final words, time spent, memories, music. What are your plans? I think it, it's about planning to be engaged. And I think I'm going to have to be a lot more planful about that. But I have friends and I have family and, and I have things that I want to do. My plan is to stay with it until I can't. In our next installment, Bruce decides to undergo an experimental therapy with surprising results. <laughs> 